Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor of The Journal. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Emily Kenner and Vivine Cameron. This week on the podcast, we're discussing equality, diversity and inclusion within the insurance and financial planning professions. I'm joined by Emily Kenner, Director at Sense Risk Solutions and Diversity and Inclusion Representative for Bristol CII, and Vaveen Cameron, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager at the CII. Here's my conversation with Emily and Vaveen. Hello, Vaveen, and hello, Emily, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Good morning. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, nice to see you. A real pleasure to have you both. So, yeah, thanks for speaking to us today. Vaveen, if we could begin with you, you're um, EDI manager of the Chartered Insurance Institute. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and some of the key work you're focusing on alongside insurers and financial services professionals? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, yes, I'm the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager for the Chartered Insurance Institute and the Personal Finance Society. My role and remit is to develop even more diversity and inclusion within the insurance and financial planning profession, as well as in-house. You know, we want our own house to be in order in terms of diversity and inclusion. So really um, very excited that I have recently joined the role, been in post. Great to work with stakeholders I've worked with before. Uh, also to see new talent, new diverse talent coming into both insurance and financial planning as well. Excellent. And Emily, your diversity and inclusion representative for the Bristol Local Institute. Can you tell us a bit about what that role involves? Yeah, so I put on events and it's really about creating communities and awareness and promoting that. Really want people to feel there's a safe place and to keep it very much on the agenda because I still think we've got a long way to go yet in terms of organisations truly embracing diversity and inclusion rather than just necessarily paying lip service to it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great to hear that those roles are so active and that work is being focused on. Vivine, insurance companies and, and personal finance firms come in different sizes, obviously with different setups. Um, so they may be at different stages of their journey to become more diverse, more inclusive. Can you tell us about why the CII wants to understand that EDI journey of the profession? Yeah, sure. So uh, the CI and the Personal Finance Society, as a professional body, its role is to build public trust in the profession. So through our professional standards and um, our code of ethics, we and our members are required to treat people fairly, uh, regardless of age, uh, disability, gender reassignment, race, religion or belief, etc., or sexual orientation. So To successfully build that public trust, we need to look at where we started, where we have been, and to enable us to know where we're going and how we as a profession can service all members of society for the future. So that's why it's really important for us to understand the EDI journey. Excellent. Emily, you you mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, obviously there is still work to be done. This is a journey. Where do you think the profession is in that journey to becoming more inclusive? Yeah, I I still feel like we've we've still got a little way to go yet. And I, I talk from my own personal experiences. 
So I am a, a parent to two children, one of which has is severely autistic. So he's nine years old, nonverbal autistic. And um, I found since having my children that, well, even before having my children and the caring responsibilities of having a disabled child, that it's it's been difficult to sort of get through and, and be promoted within an organisation. But I know I'm not alone in that respect, you know, because you see even with the gender pay gap reports for, for many organisations that other women aren't getting through. And I think that's the gender pay gap report is is the first kind of data orientated report that I think is a barometer for how organisations are treating the diversity and inclusion piece because if women aren't getting through to senior management then other minority groups aren't doing and you'll you'll see that that's still (laughs) way off where it should be for many organizations within our sector and I found it myself you know being being a woman having those caring responsibilities needing more flexibility throughout my career it's just been it's felt really hard to push through even though I love this sector I love what I do and I, I've I've really wanted to make a positive change in it. Um, now, obviously, having my own business, it's 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 really refreshing to have that liberty to be able to make positive change because you, you've got the opportunity to. But it it should be happening in the big corporates as well. So long way to it's not a long way. We are making progress, but still quite a bit to do. It still needs to be on the agenda. We still need to be talking about it. We still need to be pushing it forward. And and people who are in those minority groups should be getting through. They should be getting through to senior management position. And I know we'll talk about that, but the benefits of that will be huge. Thank you, Emily. No, it's, it's really valuable to hear your personal experience from it as well. So, no, thank you for sharing that. And, and there's, yeah, there's so many kind of aspects of it to think about, as you've, you've touched on then. Vivian, EDI is something that is moving up higher on the agenda of firms, but also, importantly, the regulator as well. Can you give us a bit of an idea of what the Financial Conduct Authority's EDI requirements are at the, at the moment? Yeah, sure. So in April of this year, the uh, Finance Conduct Authority uh, released a policy statement 22.3. And that outlines that there are certain listed companies that would disclose in their annual financial reports on a comply and explain basis. And these targets that they've set are at least 40% of the board are women, including those self-identifying as women. One senior board position is to be held by a woman, including those that identify or self-identify as a woman. And one member of the board is from a non-white ethnic minority background. So to Emily's point, you know, we are making progress, but clearly there's recognition that there's a way to go. And this is a, a step change by the regulator in order to go in that direction. The CI and the Personal Finance Society welcome uh, these targets. They're very positive, but you know, as Emily and I have agreed, there are still there's still work to be done. So in the interest of even greater inclusivity, uh, and the policy statement touches on this, but we would suggest that similar requirement indicators might be applied in respect of wider diversity, such as sexual orientation or socioeconomic background and disability. And and when we say disability, it's all aspects of that and more looking at people's capability. So to Emmy's point, you know, someone's on a spectrum, someone's autistic, doesn't mean that you know, they're not capable of work. It's just making perhaps adjustments to enable them to be included in the workforce, particularly in our profession. So great targets. I'd also say 
that for those organisations that don't identify as being one of those organisations that need to comply with these requirements, so i.e. non-FTSE 100 companies, uh, I would suggest you should start looking at doing this now so it becomes part of your DNA, it becomes part of what you do on a basis. So should it become mandatory, which often these things do, and it's better that things aren't mandatory, it's better that people choose to do these things willfully, that you're already prepared and set ready for what's coming down the pike and, you know, just being comfortable and assured in yourself that your organisation is is uh, meeting the needs of society as we'd, as I'd said at the top of the session. Mm, I so agree. I so agree with that. It's, um, yeah, it's sad that sometimes we have to make things mandatory to make things happen when really, you know, this should be on everybody's agenda. It's it's really important. And yeah, I, I, I think it's great that that's happening and that's kind of forcing the hand. But I do think if organisations want to, to remain profitable, successful, this is incredibly important for them to do that. We've seen that, you know, throughout life. You know, if you look at some of those bigger companies that went bust, it was probably because they didn't have a diversity of thought at the, at the board level, many of which, you know, you could think about Blockbuster, Kodak, um, BlackBerry. They didn't follow the technology advances. And why was that? Did they not have the diversity of thought at board level where they were being challenged to move their organizations on? So it, it's sad that it's becoming mandatory because I think the benefits are obvious, you know, that you bring in different people from different backgrounds, from different experiences and challenge each other. I know it's an uncomfortable place to be because we do have this tendency to want to be around people that are the same as us. But if we're all thinking the same way, how are we going to progress and represent the people that we serve? So, yeah, I, I, I do think, um, yeah. Sadly, mandatory does, does often come in, but those companies that embrace this sooner, as you've mentioned, being those, those smaller ones that, um, you know, don't necessarily have to at the moment, those that do will progress further. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And uh, there's opportunities out there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just would like to also make this point that, you know, sometimes I'm challenged on this and I very much see my role to represent all people. So the position is, is that we want to make sure regardless of who you are, your background, you, if you want to work in insurance and financial planning, then you have the, the equitable opportunity to do that. I'm not the avenging angel to cure all ills of all things of where people are excluded. Um but I am the angel's advocate to say, right, regardless of who you are, let's make sure you have that opportunity if you choose to. And also, you know, in terms of ageism, uh, you know, so we often talk about the profession being quite um, male or dominated, white male dominated of a particular age range. But they face challenges that they may be um, asked or, you know, challenged by, well, you know, maybe you ought to think about retiring. Well, actually, retirement should be to retirement age of choice if you still got something to give if you still have a great knowledge base if you've got a lot of experience that you want to mentor or just encourage the next generation of insurers and financial planners then there should be space for you in the profession so let's be holistic and thinking widely about what diversity and inclusion means it's not just i would suggest the things that people tend to think it is which is gender ethnicity that it's important and it's highlighted, but it's it's about all encompassing and all people. 
Absolutely. And uh, Emily, an interesting point you, you made then, um, it's not just about, obviously it, it does affect people and employees, but it also, it, it's um, it's become clear that there are real business benefits, as you mentioned, to reflecting your customers and your clients, that that's reflected at board level and the decisions that are made from a business point of view. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I even running my own business now, you know, I, I get people in to help me think a different way. And it's incredibly interesting when you bring people in to challenge you, to challenge you and to get you to think a different way um, because they've got a different perspective. And it is about that people side of things. As Ravine has already said, you know, diversity and inclusion is about is about that diversity of thought, that piece of bringing in people from different backgrounds, different experience levels. It's it's just not all being the same. Um, and that is where our comfort lies. We we do like that. It's nice. I understand that. I'm the same. When you meet somebody who's just like you and you share the same ideals and you're not being challenged around, you know, could you see it from this perspective? Could you do it this way? And it can feel uncomfortable. But when you've got that broader sort of um, picture, you're going to see a lot more opportunities. You're going to service your clients a lot better. You're going to deliver things more than any of your competitors could do. And yeah, to, to embrace that, those are the companies that are truly going to win, you know, later down the line. As the society, we constantly move and we're constantly evolving. You know, when, when you look at the ESG agenda as well at the moment, the environmental social governance piece, how we're, we're trying to make sure that we look after our planet and how we're always moving things forward and trying to do things better. And it's those companies that truly care about that and want to do things better will see more profitability will see a better organization for their employees will not just be paying lip service to something they know they should do it's what is actually going on is the culture there and i've talked about this before because there's a lot of people that feel lucky that they've got to a certain level people who never expected to so different socioeconomic backgrounds particularly poorer socioeconomic backgrounds and now they've got to middle management and they're just grateful to be there um but they shouldn't be because actually they're so good at what they do they should be at board level and it's it's sort of pushing that you know that actually that person deserves to be there and and they need to speak out about that but they find it difficult so we need to create we need to create um, workplaces that allow them to be able to to talk about that and not feel that their career is going to be hindered by the fact that maybe they feel that they're not getting through because, you know, they do think a different way or they approach things in a different way. It is that people perspective and we all bring something different to the table and it is challenging that comfort zone that we have where we just want to be with like-minded individuals um, to challenge ourselves to listen to other people who have different opinions and see that wider, bigger picture um, I think the opportunities are amazing for those people who truly embrace this agenda. It is, and that's really, really encouraging to, to hear, Emily. And it's, um, as you say, it is challenging and it is, it is more than just lip services. It is a culture shift for, for a lot of firms and, and the profession overall. What kind of action would you like to see being taken by the profession, Emily, at this point to become more inclusive? Yeah, there's two things, really. I think if you're in a senior position and you're recruiting, really challenge yourself around who are you bringing into those roles? You know, if if you're looking for somebody who's the same as you and and I understand that if you've done an amazing job and you bring somebody in who's exactly the same as you, maybe just a bit younger, 
it's not really moving things on you know challenge yourself to make some different decisions bring somebody on who's going to come come at it from a different perspective um and yet you might make mistakes along the way but actually it's really important that we do that so senior management i think has a real opportunity to challenge themselves it will feel uncomfortable it will be outside of what they're normally happy with or they've done before but it will progress their organizations on and be a real positive force, I believe. Uh, I, I do truly believe that. The second thing I think we can do is the younger generations or those coming in, the talent pool coming in, look at that organization that you're going to join because we really need the talent in our sector at the moment and you're in a strong position. So if diversity and inclusion is important to you, look at things like the gender pay gap report because every organization that wants you will tell you what you want to hear. But do your research, really look at it and make informed decisions because if you think about your communities and those people that you want to support, uh, I know we talk about um, the white male and there's a lot of, um, you know, sort of, certain age demographic and back background as well, certain schooling um, that, that sit in our world. But their communities, they want to promote this, you know, they want to promote um, diversity and inclusion. They'll have family, they'll have friends who they might see injustice happen to, and, and they want to promote that as well. So, you know, what, whatever your backgrounds, whatever your gender, whatever, um, you know, whatever the differences are, um, look at look at the organisation that you're joining and make informed decisions off the back of that and challenge them. Tell them feedback because you're in a really strong position to make positive change in our sector, to drive it forward for your generation. And that's really exciting. So those are the two things I would say that we, you know, we could do from both points of view and um, and move things forward. That's really valuable to hear, as you say, Emily, from both both points of view, from those that are higher up in, in the, the professional ready and those coming into it as well, that, they, you know, there's different actions they can take. Vivine, from your point of view, what would you like to see as some of the key action that insurance and finance professionals can, can now improve EDI? Sure. So I'm including myself in this, but let's encourage ourselves within our organisations to explore how we can become more inclusive. We've all got our isms. We've all got our things that we're ignorant of, you know, just by token of where we've grown up and who we are. Uh, so just be open to that. Do your own research on areas where you have little or no knowledge. I'm consistently doing that in my job. By a professional discipline, I'm a learning and development professional. So I'm a real advocate for lifelong learning. So I'm consistently learning throughout my life, my professional life and in my role and remit. For those of you that don't have much knowledge, then, you know, there's a plethora of options you've got. You can go online. Uh, you can uh, use a search engine, numerous search engines available. And for those of you who don't know where to start, then just begin with a basic point of um, Googling or searching inclusion what does it mean and then start expanding from there and also there's lots of things within the professions so on the insurance side we've got the dive in festival coming up that's a festival for diversity inclusion within insurance that's on the from the 27th to the 29th of September lots of topics there covering all the ranges of different elements of diversity inclusion whether it's ethnicity race disability menopause is a hot topic right now capability in terms of disability, 
all those sorts of things that uh, are being discussed in the current media. Um, but at base point, there will be events and workshops that you can attend to extend your knowledge. Also, on the financial planning side, there is the uh, Festival of Financial Planning for 2022, the 1st to 2nd of November that you can attend. They're all festivals put on by the profession in order to develop our knowledge of diversity and inclusion. So I suggest those are your base points, really great places to start, but it starts with the individual, starts with all of us. Absolutely, it does. And um, Vivina, obviously a key aim of the CII is to build trust in insurance and financial services. From a reputational point of view, um, how does becoming a more diverse and inclusive business help build trust with, with customers and clients? Well, research has shown, and I'm sure Emily will attest to this, that if you increase your diverse client base, then what will happen is people in society will say that organization services someone that's me, someone that looks like me, someone that has challenges that I have. Therefore, I'm going to go and give them my business. So ergo, your profits increase because your client base has increased. It's not only just from a business perspective of profitability, it's in terms of your uh, employees. So in terms of feeling included and belonging, if you have a diverse uh, workforce where people identify that that organization is open to employing someone like me, then I'm more likely to apply. And even in terms of actually being in post and being within the organization, if I sense that I belong in, in, in terms of, well, I'm quite an introvert, but there's space for me because my manager or the organization champions me to hear what I have to say, even though I'm not hugely confident in speaking out or speaking in a wide group of people. But it means that if I feel like I belong, I'm going to stay with the organization. So that speaks to retention. And most employers don't want to spend a huge amount of money on recruitment. So if you're having to consistently recruit because the people in your organization don't feel like they belong or they don't feel like they're heard or they're not allowed to be innovative or creative, then you're going to lose your workforce. But if you have a workforce where you actively encourage a diverse knowledge base, to Emily's point earlier on about um, diversity of thought, creativity, you know, we want to get away from, well, we've always done it like that. Oh, that's how we do it around here. Well, just because it's different doesn't make it wrong. It's just different. And that's what enables the organization to thrive because there's so much diversity of thought, thinking, application, and therefore staff will stay. They'll be encouraged to develop within the organization and really give a sense of uh, a community and just that's a, a real benefit to organizations. So those sorts of the business reasons for that application, but from a moral and ethical standpoint, if you look at our code of ethics and our professional standards, this should be part of the DNA of making sure that we, everyone is included, everyone belongs, everyone gets a sense of fair play and a sense of being heard. Absolutely. And Emily, I mean, you've, you've touched on how important it is that firms and boards reflect the customers they serve. Um, how important is it that, you know, that insurers and, and financial services companies, you know, reflect the, their customers and, and how important is it to, to being trusted? Yeah, Luke, I, I genuinely believe those that don't will get left behind and they might not feel like that at the moment. They might be making nice profits, feel comfortable. But as I mentioned, so did Blockbuster, so did BlackBerry, so did Kodak once upon a time. You don't get on board with this and you really don't get on board with this. I mean, the lip service you know, it's, it's happening. I've, you know, you see that going on and the results aren't... Yeah. 
well, people aren't getting through to that higher level boardroom level to make the decisions and and speak about how to progress the organization on. I, I just think those those will those will lose out those businesses, no matter how big they are. It is those ones that want to move with the times. And I'm incredibly excited about the future because I do think like the generations are forcing this agenda forward. We we want this to happen now. We want that equitable place. We want to be represented, each and every one of us. I talk about my son a lot because of my experience of that and neurodiversity, but stats show that nearly 30 to 40% of us are considered neurodiverse, which is a different way. The brain's wired in a different way and thinks differently. Those people want to be represented. You know, we all want to be represented. And that's really important in organizations. If, as Vivine has just said, if they want to represent their client base, um, you don't represent your client base, then how do you know what they're thinking and what their needs are? I mean, it just it just goes to, to show ultimately. So I think, um, yeah, anybody listening today really do embrace this. Everybody has a voice. Uh, as Vivian said, it starts with every one of us. Every one of us has a voice and you might be grateful to be where you are and just want to keep quiet because it's scary actually speaking up. I know I've been there. Sometimes it does feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall. But there's people like us out there that want to support you, that we're creating communities. We we want to be a bigger voice. So as Vivian said about some of those events that are happening, come along Join in, you know, with more voices will make a difference, will make a difference quicker. And it can only be a positive thing. Excellent. And um, Vivine, how can the Chartered Insurance Institute and the Personal Finance Society assist members and the wider profession um, to take action to become more inclusive? Well, there's a number of things you could, they can do. Um, so I've alluded to websites and searching. You know, you can leverage the CIE library. There's lots of resource, resources on there, lots of papers, lots of evidence of research that's been done in the area of, in terms of organisations and, and studies on different underrepresented groups. Attend your local institute. So I know Bristol's very active. Sheffield's very active in having events that speak and 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 subject matter expert speakers on these areas. So, you know, you've got that to leverage in your local institute or your regional committee uh, for the CPD events, which will give you credits towards your CPD. So, you know, your CPD is not just about your technical acquisition of knowledge, but it's also about the social, the ESG that Emily's mentioned earlier. Utilize and contact um, your employee resource groups. So we at CI have a CI community for all employees, we have the LGBTQ plus advocates, we have the wellbeing champions. There may be equivalents in your organizations, or you may wish to look to start building those uh, networks or those groups that are specialists in their experience and can tap into specialists in those areas of uh, diversity and inclusion that you might wish to explore. There's there's so many options out there. You can contact me, you can contact the CII, the Personal Finance Society, if there's something you want to tap into. Um, There's a plethora of resources uh, on the professional websites for you to tap into. So those are just a, a few options that you might like to consider. Fantastic. And and Vivine, um, also, can we just uh, make mention of the Chartered Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Survey, which the CII have carried out? Can you tell us about the most recent one, if there are key takeaways that we should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. So this is tangible research and it's aligned with uh, the inclusion at Lloyd's Culture Survey to look at financial services generically. 
the three key things that we, we've identified uh, is that uh, CI chartered firms, no matter their size, are not that different in how they approach EDI. They share similar successes and challenges. Uh, the second point is that there's a commonality across firms of all sizes in terms of practices that they've most widely adopted to promote and embed EDI within their organizations. And that can include role modeling through leadership behaviors or, or having family-friendly policies in place. And thirdly, about a quarter of all firms um, reported that they systematically collect diversity data and measure against those targets. So you need that data in order to know where you need to be headed. It's understandable for smaller firms, if they have fewer staff members, to measure diversity characteristics is challenging because it's fairly obvious who's said what. And that can be quite threatening if you want to, people to be honest and uh, just get that data. So we're, we're mindful of that or employers are mindful of that. It can also be a challenge for medium and large firms. Only 28% report that they measure EDI against targets and collect diversity data across uh, multiple dimensions of diversity. So, you know, those are the key takeaways. I just want to give credit to uh, my colleague, Rebecca Aston, Professional Standards, and Vanessa Ribelloni, uh, Market Insights at CII, that have done, you know, enormous amount of work on that, the chart uh, survey um, and have been enormously helpful in uh, helping me in my role in Remit um, to really look at this with our chart firms. Uh, certainly some really valuable research, um, Vivian, and, and as you say, helps us immeasurably kind of understand the, the, the place that we're in and that, that firms are in as well. And so any kind of final words from you both, Emily, what would you like to see from the profession going forward and how hopeful are you, you know, that um, we're, we're on a positive route in our kind of EDI journey as a, as a profession? Yeah, I, I just want to see people given the opportunities irrespective of who they are. Uh, you know, I, I want the next generation to not necessarily have the same experiences that I've had, if I'm honest. Yeah, because you just when you care about your career and you really want to progress and make a difference and you find it really tough because maybe you are um, different to everybody else, whether that's gender, whether that's um, your ethnic background, whether that's disability, neurodiversity, that, that shouldn't, shouldn't be there. You know, we should be promoting differences. So, but I'm incredibly excited. Uh, on a positive note, I am incredibly excited. I think there's a wave, there's still, still a bit more to do to create that. That's why I, I really ask for people to come forward and, and get involved in the events and the communities because we need a bigger voice. And, and I know that it feels like it's been spoken about a lot, but it's been spoken about a lot because it still needs to happen in bigger organizations. And I'm excited for those people that come through. I, I didn't feel I could do that in the end and I've set up in my own business and, and I'm enjoying the freedom that that allows and to, to create my own business with my own culture and the things that I think are important. But we need to see that happen in the bigger businesses and anybody who does that, you know, hats off to you. And I'm a big supporter of yours. So, you know, keep, keep it up and know that there's communities out there that want to support that, whoever you are, you know, and supporting others, you know, whatever you're doing, that's amazing. Fantastic. Thank you, Emily. And, and Vivian, a final word to you on where you either encourage members or firms to go for, for support or what you'd you know, like to see happening in, in the future in terms of um, EDI. Sure. So 
this is a fantastic profession. I'd like to see the profile of the profession, uh, both insurance and financial planning raised. Um, I've worked with a lot of, uh, shall we say, young talent. So the uh, 16 to 25 year bracket uh, who don't know very little about the opportunities within the profession. Uh, we are challenged as a profession because we don't have enough talent of that chronological age coming into the profession. So I'd like to see that grow. I'd also like to see, um, in terms of diversity, the opportunity for people tra to transition. So whether they are uh, people that have experienced redundancy, um, have been furloughed and want to do something different, or for whatever reason, they've been a carer and are coming back into the job market or been long-term sick. Those are aspects of diversity we need to think about. And these are very talented people that would be beneficial to the profession. So um, I'd like to see that happening. Um, and I'd like to see um, a profession that in an ideal world, we wouldn't be having these discussions and conversations. It would be a given that people come into the profession based on their talent, their skill set, and that they're the right fit for the particular organisation that they've elected to work for or applied for a role in. We're not there yet. And being realistically, we're human. We're not like that. But I'd like to think that in the future, when people are applying to work in organisations with insurance and financial planning, there's a confidence that I can apply knowing that I'm going to be treated equally, that I'm going to have access and that uh, there's a place for me, regardless of who I am, my background and how I live my life. Amazing. Well, it's been um, incredible to speak to you both today. Um, it's, it isn't just about seen to be being involved. It's about real action because it, it really affects real people and it, it does benefit all those involved. So it's, it's really positive to, to hear about the valuable work being done. So thank you so much for joining us, Vaveen and Emily, um, on the podcast today. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Emily. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, Vaveen. And thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. Um, if you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>